0: Thank you for letting me share with you this morning. I will do it without pastor observing as <coughs> I'm <in>. sorry. <laughs> we're we're uh, in, in the book of First Peter. Uh, and First Peter, um, we're just trying to start like an introduction to the, to the book, but looking. A little bit at the, just the first two verses, there's so much there. Um, start by reading First Peter chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers, so we have in America all across our country, right, strangers, Yep. and uh, scattered throughout Pontius Galatia, Pontius Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elected according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, Through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience, and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. So Peter opens his epistle, um, calling his readers elect, or chosen. It's another word for chosen, elect, choose. Uh, That's a tremendous thought. Um, We are the elect of God. We're the chosen of God. Uh, Chosen by him for the privilege of knowing him through his son, Jesus Christ. And it's not new. It's always been God's pattern to choose sovereignly. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 9 verse 7 uh, says that uh, God chose Abram. Genesis 21, 12 uh, says God chose Isaac. Uh, Romans 9, 8 to 15 says that God chose Jacob. And then the uh, prophet Haggai in uh, 2.23 says that God chose Zerubbabel. And in Isaiah 42.1 and First 1 Peter 2.6, the next chapter, it says God chose Christ. He chose the Messiah. He chose Christ. And the, God, the Gospel of John even reminds us the words of our Lord Jesus uh, in John 15 that he chose the apostles. They didn't choose him. He chose them. And in Galatians 1.15 tells us that Paul was, was a chosen vessel. And so here, here we have the fact that he, that, the, that he, cho- he, God chose the church by His His choice, His choice being sovereign. He's the, he is the sovereign of the universe. God chose. God has sovereign choice. Some people have gone off on that sovereign grace. They've gone to the deep end, but uh, we'll try not to dabble in that. But uh, God, God elect, God has elected those who belong to Him. Over his are. And, and Ephesians 1 verse 4 says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Um, and in 2 Thessalonians 2 13 says God chose you us for, from the very beginning for salvation. When was the beginning? <laughs> I don't know. It's a long time ago. <clears throat> and, and so as long as there was a God you've been chosen. But you know, God, Peter begins his epistle... With, with that because he wants to remind his persecuted brothers and sisters, again, this is under the time of Nero when he is using Christians to light his garden, uh, th- them being the light bulb. Um, you know, he's just reminding the brothers and sisters that, that they're chosen, they may not be chosen of the world, but they're chosen by God. And they may not be the, the, the choice by the world's standard, but they're the choice of God's standard. And, and his purpose for, for them unfolds throughout all eternity. Uh, no matter what the world may do, they, 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 they are at the same time, he writes this here again, be, be, they're, they're being rejected and persecuted and they're suffering for their faith all throughout the Roman Empire. And it reminds them that they're God's chosen people. And it's a tremendous encouragement uh, to, to the persecuted believers and as he introduces the fact that they are they're, they're chosen, he, and he gives some of the some of the uh, elements or or, or parts of the, uh, of the the great doctrine of election here in the, in the second verse. Um, and I and I meant to go deeper in this, but I'm not I'm just going to hit the top of it. Um, the, the the word chosen. Really, it's, it's that is the nature of our election. Elective that 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 we're cho- is, 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 The the nature is that we've been chosen. That's that's the nature of your first point. I'd like to make. And then then he goes on to to discuss the the condition of our election. You know, because we are the elect, uh, we reside. Verse one says, as we're strangers or aliens. Uh, we don't we don't belong here, in this world system. We don't belong in it. We're citizens of another kingdom and members of another family. We're, we're aliens here in temporary exile, if you will, and that's the condition of our election. The th- third thing is, is that Peter brings out here is the, the source of our election in verse 2. according to the, It's according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. God chose us based on a predetermined relationship. And we're chosen by God based on, on, on his own foreknowledge. That does not mean foresight. Some people will say, "Well, that's foresight because he he knows he knows what will happen." Therefore, that's why he, he 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 chose you because you know you're you're going to choose him. That's that's not that's not foreknowledge. Uh, it doesn't mean information gained by observation. It's a predetermined relationship, and it's the same term used in, in this chapter chapter one verse twenty, where it says, "Christ was foreknown before the foundation of the world." And and so, I mean, it cannot mean that that God chose Christ to be the Savior based on the foresight or observation of what was going to happen. He didn't, you know, He didn't know what was going to happen until it happened. So He had to watch to see it, and He chose based on just I don't know how you how you can chase that around and make sense out of it. But it, it it has to mean a predetermined relationship, and it's actually a plan. It's God's plan, and and a deliberate design. So, so the source of our election is bound up in God's predetermined plan and foreknowledge. Cannot, it's deep. If you get into it, it gets very deep. But So I'm just going to leave that, just, just just kind of identify it. <clears throat> A fourth thing that, that, that Peter brings out to, to, to his, his readers is the, the, the sphere of our election it comes next and it's in verse two we it, the actual experience of our election uh, it's through the sanctification of the spirit it's 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 by the sanctifying work of the spirit it, it, election becomes a reality in the life of the chosen person through the setting apart uh, by the holy spirit sanctification means to be set apart and and so we, we're, we are set apart from sin we're set apart from the world we are, we're set apart from being children of Satan from being, uh, uh, to being children of God we're set apart from death to life and uh, that's the sanctifying or set apart, part, setting apart work of God's holy Spirit. Sanctification began at salvation and it's a process of purification that goes on until we see Jesus Christ face to face. We've been chosen it says in Ephesians 1: 4 to be holy we've been chosen to pursue to, to pursue to pursue holiness and and the sanctifying work begins at salvation and we're we're set apart from sin to God from death to life from satan to Christ and then, then that setting apart continues progressively and, and until we get more and more holy more and more like our lord jesus himself so the, so the sphere of our election is an is it's an environment of sanctification the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit makes makes the unholy holy. My mouth is dry. I'm sorry. So that brings us to a, to a fifth thing that Peter points out. That was just about four Sunday school lessons in one. Yeah, it's a, it's a sphere. It's, a, it's, it's, it's uh, because of that. That's how it happens. That's, that's the result of that. So the f- fifth he he brings out is a purpose. What's the purpose of our election? Uh, in verse 2 it says, The sanctifying work of the Spirit is, has been done that we might obey uh, on, unto obedience. And that's actually in, in the word unto obedience uh, 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 to Jesus Christ. Uh, we, we can, so we can obey Jesus Christ. I mean, the sanctifying work of the Spirit has been done so that we can obey Jesus Christ. It's very basic. We're set apart from sin to God in order that we might obey Jesus Christ. And obedience is, is a byproduct, okay? Ephesians two 2.10 2, 10 says that we're, we're, you know, we're his, his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. We're his masterpiece. Ephesians 2.10 As it were, and where the workmanship of God ordained unto good works, which God has predetermined, ordained that we should walk, we should do it. We walk in them. Salvation is by definition a life of obedience. Very important truth. We've been set apart to God by the work of the Spirit in order that we may obey Jesus Christ. And it's it's consequent to the previous election, then brings through salvation to a life of obedience. We don't obey as we ought to obey fully, but we are nonetheless redeemed unto obedience, separated unto obedience. Um, Yes, sanctification of the Spirit, yes, setting apart by the Spirit unto obedience. Um, It becomes a pattern in the new life of a believer. Uh, we, We become submissive to the law of God, Romans 7. We, we, we become submissive to God as our master. Romans 6, no longer the slaves of sin. But we're now servants of God. Righteousness characterizes our behavior after salvation, after this, after this sanctifying, or, or because of this sanctifying work. It becomes the virtue. It, it, it's a pattern of our life. We become faithful and fruitful and serving and loving Christ. True salvation produces obedience. Not perfect obedience by any means, but Obedience. And in 1 Timothy 6 3, Paul says, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, the doctrine that brings us to God, conforms us to godliness. And what he means here is the true doctrine of Christ, the true doctrine of salvation, has inherent in it a, a, a conforming to godliness. The, the blessed reality of salvation yields a lovely fruit of obedience. And, And that too is the work of the Spirit. Over in First Thessalonians chapter one, Paul writes along with with his companion Silas or Sylvanus unto the uh, to the church there, the Thessalonians. I always hate that. Turn the pages too long. in in, in 1 Thessalonians he gives thanks to God always for them in verse 2 verse 3 he he bears in mind their work of faith and labor of love and and their steadfastness and their hope and and then he says in verse 4 that he he knows brethren beloved of God your election election of God Paul says I know that you're elect I know you're elect he says I know you're chosen well how do you know that Paul it says in verse five, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and the Holy Ghost with much assurance, much conviction. Then in verse six, and, and, and you also became followers of us as as of the Lord and the Lord. In verse seven, and you were in samples to, to all the, all that believe. In verse nine, you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God, verse 10, and to wait for his son from him. He says, I, I know you're elect. Well, how do I know? Because you said so. Because you raised your hand in church, we all had our heads closed, and in, in prayer time and you raised your hand. Um, you're baptized. How do I know you're the elect of God? He, he, I know you're elect because you imitated us. You you imitated Christ. You received the word in in much afflict and much tribulation. Uh, you, you experienced joy. You became an example, verse 8. You sounded out the word of God, verse 9. You turned from idols, verse 10. You're waiting for Christ. All factors of a regenerate, experience, a regenerate life, and those are the things that mark true election. It's really, it's basic. And, and I'm not going to read you a quote from A.W. Pink. A.W. Pink went off the deep end on election. Way, some people caused a lot of division, but it, real good. He has a very good definition of election. I'm not going to read it, but but, uh, I'll just spare you if if it bothers me. It's a blessing. So how do you you know you're elect? How do you know you're elect? Summing that up, he said, said, you know it because the word of God teaches you and moves into your life and convicts you of sin, and, and that shatters your complacency. You know it because all of a sudden your spirit has become awakened to your sin, And and to the reality of Christ. And then you receive this new nature. You love God. You love his word. You long to serve him. You want to glorify him. You hate sin. You want to resist it and so forth. And so all of that really is in in the commonest term reflective of an obedient heart. And you obey the word. You obey the conviction of the spirit. You obey the work uh, of Christ. You obey what scripture calls you to do. Obedience is, is the mark. It's the result. It's the response that comes to one who's truly redeemed. And so Peter is telling us that the electing work produces obedience here in verse 2 to Christ, obedience unto unto Christ. Um, It's not perfect obedience, and and where we fail, there will be a heart of brokenness and confession and and, and its characteristic of a true believer to obey Jesus Christ. And then to seal the truth, he mentions the sixth aspect. This is a deep one I want to share a little bit with you. The sixth aspect of election, election is the security of our election. We could even call it the obligation of our election, or the covenant of our election might be better. He says unto obedience, maybe uh, uh, unto Christ and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. What does Peter mean by the sprinkling of the blood on people? I mean, is somehow connected to obedience. Well, what does he mean? I so, say, well, it means salvation. No, it doesn't. In this context, Uh, the the chronology of the verse doesn't put the consequent as consequent to salvation. At what phase in this this verse did salvation happen? Verse two: We were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, which is eternity past. And then salvation occurred under the phrase through the sanctification of the Spirit. That's that's when salvation actually happened the spirit spoke to your heart and you said yes I need to be saved yes I'm a sinner that's where salvation took place and it led to obedience and the sprinkling with his blood it's consequent after salvation yeah, I, I gotta, I'm not sure I'm not, I, I'm not absolutely okay firm on this, but I believe that where it says obedience you think it's talking about Jesus' obedience. In the context, you think it it's... To to the context doesn't bear that, but go ahead. I mean, it appears to me to be that way. It, but it's not in the context, in the, in the actual language, it's not in that, talking about Jesus being obedient. It's it's, it's to, the, to the scattered.
1: Well, the scattered.
0: It's a, it's but I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it, and I'm going to stay on this topic to share it, because it's a blessing. What I'm going to share a you ble- absolute blessing. Um... The only true obedience has been done through Christ, not us. Um, but it says through sanctification of the spirit. Uh, <laughs> get back where I was. You know what consequence the salvation act involves: sprinkling of the blood. You sprinkle blood. Jesus' blood was poured out on the cross. And you know, but if you look at the Bible, what what Peter is a is, is a Hebrew, and he's thinking as a Jew. Where does sprinkling of blood happen? And, and it's, it's not at the atonement. You never see sprinkling blood at the atonement, on the Day of Atonement. Uh, and people were never sprinkled blood on the Day of Atonement. Or, none of the occasions of the sin offerings. I mean, they did trespass offerings. There was never any blood sprinkled. Uh, the altar was sprinkled with the animal's blood, but not the, the person there ever was. So, the, the fa- in fact, blood was sprinkled on people only on two occasions in Levitical law really it's interesting again we' even want to share this truth here because it's really it, it, it's just a, a wow blessing one of them is on a leper uh, symbolic of a cleansing of a leper Leviticus 14:6 and following the blood of a bird was sprinkled on a leper and the blood of a ram was sprinkled on Aaron and his sons into sy- symbolic cleansing and the consecration of Aaron and his sons to the priesthood when they were consecrated but Leviticus 8: uh, yeah, uh, and in Exodus 29 the two occasions we see Aaron and his sons being sprinkled you have the blood of the bird being sprinkled on a, on a leper in, in, in Exodus I mean Leviticus 14 and the blood of a ram sprinkled on Aaron and the, and the priest when they were set apart to the priesthood there, there again Exodus 29 and uh, Leviticus 8 but neither of those two fit what Peter's talking about Priest, there's one other occasion in the Old Testament that would come, have come to Peter's mind that has to do with the sprinkling of the blood on the people. And there's only one, and it happened only one time, and it's really clear that, that this is what Peter had in his mind, and it's actually quoted for us twice in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 9.19, and Hebrews 12.24, twice in, in Hebrews, references made to this one incident, and the incident happened in Exodus chapter 24. Way back in Exodus chapter twenty-four, verses three through eight, I'm going to read it. Exodus twenty-four three through eight it says that and Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord, and, and all the judgments, and all the uh, people answered with one voice and said, "All the words which the Lord hath said, we will do." And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord that he had told them down in a book. <laughs> He wrote. He wrote. He wrote the words, and rose up early in the morning, and he built an altar under the hill and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel, and he sent young men of the children of Israel, which offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen unto the Lord, and Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and, and uh, half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar, and he took the book of the covenant, and he read it in the audience. Of the people, and they said, "All that the Lord hath said, we will do, and and be obedient. That we're obedient, we're going to do it, and we're going to be obedient." In verse seven. And then Moses took the blood, and sprinkled it on the people, and, and said, "Behold, the blood of the covenant, blood of the co- very important blood of the covenant, which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words." I mean so there was only one other occasion, and we just read it to you in the Bible, where the pe- where people are sprinkled with blood. You have you have the you had the leper, and you have the priest, now you have the, the people only one time there, Exodus twenty-four. And again it's called the blood of the covenant. And and, and the main two points that We could notice in that Moses proclaimed to the people God's word. And the people responded with a promise to do what? To obey. We promised to obey. All the words that the Lord spoke and we're going to do it. Moses then wrote the words down. He built an altar. He sent the men to offer burnt offerings, sacrifice peace offerings of oxen to Jehovah. And then half of the blood of those sacrifices he sprinkled on the altar. And the rest he had in a basin. According to verse 6, some kind of bowls. And he, he took the book of the covenant, which was the word of God, which he had written. And he read it before the people again, and they answered again, we'll do it, we'll be obedient. And, and so they were making this covenant of obedience, and God, with God, mediated through a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice. It was a promise of obedience. So the other half of the blood, Moses took from the basins, and on the pe- he sprinkled it on the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant. Which you have made, which which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words, are in verse eight. In ancient times, two people would make a covenant, and that covenant usually, in that covenant, it would it would, be, it would, they would uh, cut cut their cut the uh, an animal in half, and then and the, the blood was usually placed on both parties who were making the covenant, and that was a blood covenant. It was a commitment uh, to to keep a pact between two people. It's common in the ancient cultures. And it happened that day with Moses was there. And the covenant was, We promise, O oh God, that we will what? We will obey your word. And it was a covenant of obedience, a covenant of being sealed in blood. And the primary purpose of the blood was that was sprinkled was to consecrate and to obligate both parties in the covenant. There was a bond being made between God and the people. It's really um, Awesome to see this. It's a bond made between the people and God. The people are promising to keep his word. And the blood on them indicates they're part of the covenant. And the blood on the altar indicates God's part of the covenant. Sprinkling the blood on the people symbolizes their commitment to obedience. Excuse me. Sprinkling of the blood on the altar symbolizes God's, com- God's commitment to, <clears throat> to, his faith, to faithfulness. <clears throat> and I believe that's what Peter had in mind here in 1 Peter. <clears throat> and again, it's the only place in Scripture where you have the connection between obedience, the only place, and sprinkling of blood. Those two things happening together. And Peter, being a Jew, and knowing that the passage, that passage fits well, it, he gave a tremendous parallel for us in a matter of election, God's choice. When, when, when these believers were saved, to whom Peter wrote, they were saved by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit of God, making their past election, God chosen eternity past, making it real in the present time. They were brought into the covenant with God, which was sealed by blood, sealed by blood. It was a covenant of obedience. And in the death of Jesus Christ, it was not only provided the new covenant of salvation, but also it was bound in that a covenant of obedience. It's not just salvation, but it's a covenant of obedience. When we come and accept accept the sacrifice of Christ for us, we're not just accepting the benefit of His death on our behalf. We're covenanting with Him in obedience. And that is consecrated by the blood and the death of Jesus Christ. He was obedient unto death. But the sprinkling of the blood on the altar is seen in the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, satisfying God. And and good morning, Miss Stevens. We're in, we're in First Peter chapter one. And, and so and so um, it. it when jesus died on the cross he quoted exodus 24 the exact words when he spoke as a sacrifice as the blood of the covenant and in in the new covenant was a promise and the promises were that the lord would come and redeem us and he would re, and we would respond to keep his word to create a salvation without that covenant the blood covenant is to create a false covenant the sprinkling of the blood presupposes the shedding of blood, okay? In order to be able to sprinkle it, you had to shed blood. And so the consecration of the new covenant presupposes the sacrifice of the cross where Christ offered his life, his life, blood for the sake of man, at the will of God, he did it in order that there might be a covenant. And Peter's point is the work of Christ satisfies God as he dies at, as a perfect atonement for sin, but it goes beyond that. Okay, this it goes beyond that. It's a it's a really a vital truth. And so what Peter is concluding is that when you were set apart by God by the Holy Spirit, you, you you were set apart to God for a life of obedience, sealed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Obedience is inseparable from the sprinkling of the blood. So when when Christ shed his blood, there was a covenant of obedience provided. And that's why it says in Acts 5.32, we're witnesses of these things And, and so, so, so it's the Holy Spirit whom, whom God has given to those who obey him. Obedience is inherent in the covenant. Salvation and obedience are, are the two sides of the new covenant. Were, there were two sides of the new covenant. Romans 6, verse 7, about verse 17 says, Thanks be to God that through you, Though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient. And you can't talk about salvation without talking about obedience. You can't talk about a new covenant without talking about obedience. And the blood was sprinkled symbolically on us as our part of obedience and on God as his part of faithfulness. We've been elect to obey. We've been elect unto obedience. And, and there's one more thought. Wow. Wow. Why was the blood sprinkled on the altar? What was God's part? I mean, the, the blood sprinkled on us symbolizes our commitment to obedience. Well, the blood sprinkled on the altar, it, it, it's God, it's of it's, um, uh, uh, God symbolizes his commitment for forgiveness. I mean, to grace. That's God's commitment to grace. I mean, it, that's the covenant. The covenant is, is, is we promise to obey And God promises to forgive if we don't. That's what the covenant is. It's a marvelous covenant. I mean, that's what the blood provided. That's the two sides of the covenant of obedience. That's the security of our election. We are secure as elect because of the covenant. We're, we're, We're brought into a covenant of obedience, and our life is characterized by obedience. And if you say to someone, become a Christian, and don't worry about obedience. If you say to someone, become, you know, and, and you're not, we're, we're not giving them the true message. When you call someone to salvation, you're calling them into a covenant. Uh, our part is obeying. God's part is forgiving. And when we fail, he's still forgiving. That's the covenant. That's the covenant. And when, when you come to God through Christ, you say, oh, God, I give you to you my life. I want to obey you. I promise to live for you, to love you, serve you as best I can. And, and, and then you're sprinkled with the blood of Christ symbolically, and your sins are washed. You become his child. The blood sprinkled on the altar was his part. His, it's his bond to, to us that when we fail to keep the covenant, he is eager and gracious to forgive us our sin. First John 1, 7 to 9. That's what that's talking about. Tremendous thought. The security of our election comes in the fact that not only were, were we sprinkled in the covenant, but God in the altar was sprinkled. And he'll keep his side when we fail to keep our side. The same blood that sealed the covenant covers the sin of the disobedient Christian. That's the security of our election. That's why he keeps on cleansing us from what? All sin. It's a continuous work. So I just want to share that with you. There's a seventh thing. That was sixth. Seventh thing in our outline would be, I mean... You you see the truth of election. We saw it's it's trying to share its nature, its condition, its source, its sphere, its purpose, and its security. Again, we could have really made a lesson of each one of those. But lastly, the advantages of our election. Uh, uh, In verse 2, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. That's repeated a lot of times in the New Testament uh, by the writers of the epistles. And the gift of, of, of salvation is grace. The result is peace, and Peter says, "I want you to have it in abundance." That's that's his wish. I wish, in the actual language, it could have been translated, "I wish for you grace, and I wish for you peace. I, I want that to be multiplied in your life." That's that's the 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 language could say that. In other words, I wish you all the blessings of being the elect. I mean, you, you, there, there's something tremendous in being, in being elect, tremendous blessings. Well, what's what's the advantages of election? Well, we, we, you, we think about the doctrine of election, and we sort of shrivel up. We don't want we'll to talk about it. It's too deep. It's too confusing. It's too hard to understand. Uh, but election, first of all, I mean, you know, the thing with it is it, it really, it's a pride-crushing crushing doctrine in Scripture. I mean, it, it produces humility, humility. The most humiliating truth there is is that you had absolutely nothing to do with your salvation. You didn't contribute anything to your salvation. It it really crushes your spiritual pride, self-righteous pride of religious people. Spurgeon called it a stripping doctrine in the world. It strips everything of you away. Nothing in my hand do I bring, simply through the cross I claim. And look what I won't, won't read Spurgeon's quote. But that might offend somebody too. If you're if you're if you're if you're not i well, I'm not a I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not a tulip kind of guy. I'm kind of both free will head. and I'm and I'm kind of a Baptist, an independent Baptist. Got our own breed. But secondly, it's a it's it's a God exalting doctrine. First of all, it's a it's a pride crushing doctrine. Secondly, it's God exalting. Gives all the glory to God. It declares that repentance is from God. That faith is from God. The powerful obedience is from God. Even when we fail, his part of the covenant is to cover our failure. No, I mean, no one respond, not unto us, not unto us, O Lord, but unto thy name be glory. The very fact that our our will acted even as a result of what he was doing, his prompting. It's the most God-exalting element of the doctrine of salvation, just as it is the most pride-crushing element. The third thing is joy, produces joy. Our only hope is to be elect, by the way. That's our only hope. Uh, That's our only hope. So that brings us to supreme joy. When when I think the fact that God chose me, that's supreme joy. Because I I, I have no hope of salvation apart from that. I I would have no hope if God in his sovereign mercy did not choose me. And it's a joyous thought. Romans 9, uh, Paul... Paul wrote, Except the Lord had left us a posterity, we would have become a Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 29. would be just right like the rest of the ungodly if the Lord hadn't chosen us. Psalm 65, 4 says, Blessed is the man whom you choose and cause to approach unto you that he may dwell in, in, in your courts. Blessed is the man whom you choose, Psalm 65.4. And that, that should inspire joy in a heart. God has loved you since he was God. How long has he been God? So long, he's loved you, and he's he's always been God he'll always loved you. Fourth thing, the most another, it's a privilege-granting doctrine in salvation. Got two minutes. It's a, it's a pride-crushing. It's a God-exalting, joy-producing. It's a privilege-granting. It says it gives us all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ, Ephesians one three. We receive benefit upon benefit, and it is a a, a a fifth. Uh, element of this uh, for um, election election would, would produce for us what other I mean the most it's the most holiness promoting element of salvation what other more compelling thing would there be for me to live to the glory of God than to know that he' chose me out of his out of his own love I mean out of an abundance of gratitude I mean I, I I should be compelled to live a life of purity. That when the doctrine of lecture is not taught properly and understood, people run around under the assumption that somehow they did something for their salvation because they feel that it was it was partly them. I mean, so they're not compelled to serve and to love and to glorify God, whose alone was the will and the act of salvation. We don't help people by not understanding this. I mean, I mean Paul and Colossians three twelve is so. He says, and so as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion. Because you know you've been chosen by God, put on this heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and so forth. Get your act together because you're the elect, Paul says. There's a six, and it's really the the most strength-giving of the elements of salvation. If I'm elect, I'm secure, right? God did it. I'm secure. It's not based on me. Well, with that, we are just not have to unhook our wagon. But I appreciate your, your patience, and Bud, I, I appreciate you putting up with me. Yeah. Again, if I had anything, if if my salvation depended on me at, any, at all, I would, could not be saved. I would not be saved. Thanks for letting me share with you.